Psalm number 24, beginning in verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Thank you. You may be seated, and then we'll pray together and begin working through this. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this time this evening, and I ask that you would bless this time. God, stir our hearts and show us what these things mean to us. I praise you for all that you've done for us in your Son, Jesus Christ, and I ask that this would bring much glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, some of you are probably wondering, all of you, most of you, wondering why I had you stand up while I read that. Did that cross your mind? Well, I'll tell you why. It's because most people think when you come to a service and you hear the Bible preached, most people think it's one guy standing up there and everybody else just sitting out there listening. So there's one guy active, one guy doing something, and everybody else is just kind of passively sitting and listening and receiving. That's how we think about that. That's what you do in a classroom when your teacher stands up and talks, right? Most of the time. Well, the Bible shows us that whenever the Scriptures are proclaimed, when the Bible is preached, it's supposed to be involving everyone, all of us. In other words, you have a responsibility when you listen. The Scripture says, take care, take heed how you hear. You have a responsibility in the way that you hear the word proclaimed. In other words, I had you stand up in order that as the Scriptures were being read and you're reading them, you're taking part in what's going on. Does that make sense? It's reminding you this actually involves me. I'm not just a bystander listening to what's happening, but I'm engaged with what's going on. I have a responsibility to listen to what's being said because when the Scriptures go forth, God Himself is speaking. God is speaking. So, just that as an introduction, I want to start with you in verse 1 of Psalm 24. You guys have a big advantage because we already started talking about this tonight, right? Verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. The first thing we see about this is the psalmist, David, is telling us about God and God's creation. This entire world is owned and belongs to God. Y'all remember how we talked about over there that the Psalms are music? These are songs that people, God's people in the Old Testament and in the New Testament actually would sing these songs. You know, on Sundays we stand up and we have some instruments maybe and we sing songs of praise, right? Well, in these days, they would sing these words. These were their song lyrics that they would memorize and sing to God. This was their worship. 
And here we have this song, and the beginning of the song is a reminder that everything belongs to God. Everything that you can see, everything your eyes can gaze upon, God created. God made it, and it belongs to Him. And that includes us. Notice the last part of verse 1. The world and those who dwell therein. How often have you stopped to think about the fact that you belong to God? You belong to God. He's your maker. He's your owner. He's the one you belong to. We move along into verse 2. He says, For He has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. The next thing, it's a continuation of the thought. He says, This God, this Lord that we're singing praise to, that we're worshiping, He's the one who's created everything. He's established it. He founded it from the beginning. And everything that has been made was made by Him. God was never created. God has no beginning and no end. He made everything. And here's verse 3. You need to get this picture in your mind. Here's the picture. They're singing a song to God. He starts off in these first two verses by describing who God is. Now, see, see how this flows. See how this progresses through the text. Here's this God who's made everything. He was never made. Everything belongs to Him. The next question is, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? <clears throat> the language that's used here of a hill, how many of you ever, have ever played King of the Hill? Have you ever heard that game? you ever played that game? It's where somebody's on the top of a little hill, and whoever's up on top of the hill is the king. And it's everybody else's job to try to knock that guy down. Well, imagine that picture. Here you have God, and He's on this hill. That's the picture that's been given us in this text. He's above everyone else. He's higher than everything else. And everyone else is looking up to where He is, asking, how are we going to get up there? Because He's not some evil, mean king who does bad things and hurts people that aren't doing bad things themselves. He's not an unjust king. He's a good king. And He doesn't tolerate evil as we're about to see. And it's the picture of how can we get to where He is. That's the picture. He's up above us, higher than us. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? The next question, who shall stand in His holy place? You guys know what the word holy means? A lot of people think that if something is holy, like you might read the spine of your Bible, and a lot of them will say, holy Bible. What does the word holy mean? A lot of people think holy means sinless. They think holy means something that's good, something that's righteous. And those are not bad definitions, but the real meaning of the word holy is kind of like this. How many of you have ever been in the kitchen with your parents while they were preparing a meal? You ever been around them when they were cutting vegetables? Cutting vegetables on a cutting board? The picture of this word holy, it literally means to cut and separate. So this idea of holy, you know, if you're cutting up a cucumber for a salad, you cut the slices of cucumber here, 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 and here, and you take the knife and you slide the cut pieces away from the uncut piece, right? Well, in this picture, the idea of holy is something that is set apart. It's distinct. It's different. It's not in the same place as these other things. So God, the place where He is, is a holy place. And as I said, it's this hill. It's this place that's above everything, higher than everything. Who can stand in His holy place? So far, here's a song of praise that starts off, God is the maker of everything. He's above everything. He was never created. Who can be where this God is? Let me ask you this. Do you want to be where God is? Do you want to be where God is? 
Whenever you die, do you want to be with the Lord? Do you want to go and be where this God is? Because there's only two options in the Bible. You're either with God, enjoying Him forever, or you're separated from God, facing judgment, facing hell because of sin. The question is, do you want to be with this holy and good God? Well, here's the requirements. Verse 4. The one who's going to ascend the hill of the Lord, the one who's going to stand in this holy place, is he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. So if you want to know, what is the way for me to be with God? How can I be with God? Here's the answer. You've got to have clean hands. What does it mean to have clean hands? What do you think the Bible is saying when it says you must have clean hands? If you go and play in the slop, in the pig slop, and you get it all over your hands, are your hands clean? You know what the pig slop of this life is? The mud of this life is? Sin. Sin. And the definition of sin in the Scriptures is transgression of the law. Now, it's not just like God created this list of rules over here and says, I've determined all of this stuff to be bad, so people who do that stuff, they're bad, they're sinners. That's the way a lot of people think about sin. They think, well, God's this rule giver, and He's given me these rules to follow, and if I follow those rules, then He'll accept me and love me, but if I break those rules, He'll be mad at me. That's not exactly how this is. You see, the transgression of the law is this. If I were to come to you and I were to say, listen, I've got these shoes here, and they're really expensive, nice shoes. They're actually not. They're probably pretty cheap. I wouldn't know my wife bought them. But here's the point. If I were to say, I like these shoes, and I want, to, I want to keep them clean, I want to take good care of them. If you come over with a can of black spray paint and spray my shoes, now that's a sin against the law I gave, right? I gave you a law, said don't get my shoes dirty. You went over there and got them dirty. Now let me ask you. Is it worse that you broke the rule that I gave? Or is it worse that you offended me, the one who gave the rule? You actually did something against me. You attacked me whenever you broke that rule. That's how it is with God's law. God tells us things that we're supposed to be honest and tell the truth. And yet we all have lied. We've all said things that weren't true at some time because it would give us a benefit, an advantage. We've all wanted things that we shouldn't want. We've all been selfish. We haven't loved God as we should love God. These things that God calls sin, they're sin because they're an attack against God Himself. It's not just that we've broken rules. To have clean hands means you're not guilty. You haven't had your hands in the slop of life, doing things that you should not be doing. And we're not just talking about murder, killing someone or stealing from someone, although we do things just like that. When you hate someone, the Bible says you've killed them in your heart. Did you know that? If you have hatred towards someone, the Bible says you've killed them in your heart. If you lust after someone or desire someone sexually, the Bible says it's the same as if you've committed adultery with them. Gone and done the deed itself in your heart. And so we're guilty of these things. We don't have clean hands. We don't have hands that we can hold up before God and say, look, there's nothing on them, do we? Now, this is the Bible tells us the requirement to be in the holy place of God is to have clean hands. You can't have sinned if you want to be with God. The next thing we read is a pure heart. What's a pure heart mean? Who knows what your heart is? Your heart is the center of who you are. 
The heart is not just that thing in your chest that's pumping blood throughout your body. Your heart is not just the little picture that goes on Valentine's cards. When the Bible says your heart, it means your mind. It means the things you really enjoy. If you really are consumed by a boy at school you think's cute, that's your heart. That's your affections. That's what you want. If you really enjoy makeup or pretty clothes, or even if you like schoolwork and you love this, this is what your heart desires is to do well in school and be successful. All of these things, they're revealing what your heart is. And you know how I can tell what your heart is? Jesus said this, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You know what that means? People talk about what they care about, don't they? Have you ever been around uh, an older person, a grandma, that just had a little grandbaby born? All they want to do is pull out their phone and work through it and show you pictures of that little baby. baby. And maybe they've showed you ten times this little baby. But they love that little baby and they're going to talk about it. You ever been around somebody who loves sports? They like to watch sports on TV. You know anybody like that? It's all they talk about. They're always talking about statistics and who did this and who did that. Who won this game? They love it. And so it comes out of them. The Bible's saying your heart has got to be pure. That word pure, you know, that means it's unalloyed. It's kind of like this. If I were to take a glass of water and offer it you to drink when you're thirsty, you might say, oh, thank you, and take the water and drink it. But if I were to take a little bit of cow manure and drop it in the water, just a little bit, and offer you to drink it, would you drink it? No, because it's not pure. It's got something in there that's not clean, not pure. To have a pure heart means your heart is singularly devoted to God. That you love God more than anything else. So the Scripture is telling us, we all say we want to be in the presence of God, right? When we die, we want to go to this holy place with God. And the Bible says to be with God in this holy place You have got to have clean hands. You can't be guilty of doing sin out here, hurting other people, stealing things that aren't yours. But you also have to be clean in here. You've got to love God more than you love anything else. The last requirement we read is that they do not lift up their soul to what is false and do not swear deceitfully. So you can't do things with your hands that are bad, that go against God. And and to that point, let me make this point a little clearer to you. Why do you think it's wrong? You remember I said if I told you to keep my shoes clean, I gave you that law and you got them dirty with the paint, you've offended me, you've sinned against me, you haven't just broken the law. Why do you think it's so bad to kill someone? You know why it's so bad to hurt somebody and kill them? It's because every person is made in the image of God. Whenever you kill someone, you are killing the image of God. It's the same thing as trying to kill God Himself. Whenever you kill someone or if you kill a baby in their mother's womb, you're killing the image of God that that little child was made in. And it's not just an attack against the standard, but against the person. Now, in light of that, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, does not swear deceitfully. Have you ever said things that weren't true? Have you ever had things come out of your mouth that would give you an advantage, that would protect you from getting in trouble? You get caught doing something you shouldn't have. Mom or dad asked, hey, did you do this? Nope, Mm -mm. not me, not me. It was them. Yeah, we all do that. We all shift blame. And we'll swear up and down that I didn't do this or I didn't do that. And lifting up your soul to what is false or what is vain. 
It's this idea of you're consumed and absorbed by something other than God. Anything other than God is false and vain. So let me ask you, we want to be with the Lord. We want to be in His holy place, don't we? We want to be with God, we say. Here's the requirement. You can't have sinned, not with your hands. You must have a pure heart that loves God more than anything else. All the time, without stop. You must live all of your life loving God more than anything else. You must not be committed to in your soul things that are vain or false, like makeup or money or friends or a successful life. Anything that you think is going to be good for you in this life, if that's as your soul consumed, then you don't meet this requirement and you must be honest. You must not have lies. The Bible says God hates lying lips. He hates it whenever we say things that aren't true. Why? Because He's truth. And when we lie... You see, I told you it's wrong to kill someone because they're made in the image of God, right? Why is it wrong to lie? It's because you're made in the image of God. Whenever you lie, you are projecting to everyone around you, God's a liar. We're made to reflect God. We're made to show people what God's like. When we lie, we're telling people God's a liar. You see, all of these things, how do we measure up? We want to be with God in this holy place, and yet, does this describe us? Are your hands clean? Have you ever sinned in your life? The answer is yes, yes. You have done things that were wrong, selfish, mean and cruel, sinful. And in your heart, there's been desires for many things other than God. So this, I want to tell you, the title of this message tonight is The Divine Dilemma. Everybody here knows what the word the means, I assume, right? The divine. What does divine mean? You might hear that people use it and they mean pretty, beautiful or something. The word divine means it's God. It's It's otherworldly. Divine is God. It's describing God. And dilemma. What's a dilemma? If you have a dilemma, what is it? Maybe your dilemma is you're getting ready for school and you picked out your outfit the night before and you go to put it on. And when you start to put it on, all of a sudden you can't find your pants. You've got a dilemma. You've got a problem. You've got something preventing you from what you want to do. You have this problem. You've got this dilemma, right? The divine dilemma is what? The divine dilemma is that we have a desire to be with God where He is and we can't. Do you see this? We can't go to this holy place, this high hill. Another way of thinking about this high hill, in the Old Testament one time God calls one of His servants Moses to go on this mountain called Sinai. You know what happened up on top of that mountain? God gave him the Ten Commandments. God gave him the law. And so if you think about it in this way, this high hill, this hill that we need to ascend, God's rules, God's laws that He set forth that are meant to reflect who God is. He's given us these rules and laws and the thing that's separating us from the God on top of this mountain is that we haven't kept His rules and laws. And if we even try to climb that mountain, we're going to come crashing down every time. You cannot have access to this God by trying to do good and keep the law. And here's the dilemma. We want God, but we can't access Him apart from being pure-hearted and clean hands. So the question is, who's going to ascend this hill? Who's going to climb this mountain? 
what this person who's going to climb this mountain Here's what happens for them in verse five. He'll receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Here's the picture. None of us are able to climb this mountain, right? But we want God. How is it that we get access to God? Is there anyone in the history of the world that's ever been able to climb this mountain? Is there anyone who could look at God up on that high hill and say, I can go up there myself. I can keep this law and love this person and have a pure heart. I can love God with a pure heart. Is there anybody who's ever been able to say that? There is one. There is one. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ did this perfectly. I'm going to tell you, this psalm we're reading here, David wrote it, and it's a song of worship and praise. If this psalm isn't about Jesus Christ, it's not very worthy of worship and praise, is it? If this isn't talking about someone who's sinless, doing something for people who are sinful, then we don't have access to God. We don't get to ascend this hill. We don't get to be with God if somebody else doesn't do this for us. The New Testament reveals to us in Galatians 4.4, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law. What, did, what for? To redeem those who were under the law. Here you've got the law is this great mountain of Sinai. We're under that mountain. We're under the law. How are we going to get up there? How are we getting to where God is? We're separated from God because we're sinful and we don't love God. Our hearts are defiled. How are we getting up there? We're under the law. The Bible says God sent forth His Son to rescue and redeem those who are being crushed by that law. That mountain is falling on top of us, killing us, crushing us. We can't get up there. He sent forth His Son. He came, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem us who are under the law. And Jesus perfectly kept God's law. You know, the Bible also says the wages of sin is death. Death. We've already made it clear, haven't we? We've all sinned, haven't we? We've all done what is wrong in the sight of God. But more than that, we've not loved God. Do you know what the greatest commandment in the Bible is? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Does it make sense that if the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God, what do you think the greatest sin is? Maybe to break the greatest commandment? To not Love the Lord your God. We're guilty of not loving God. And it's said of Jesus, He loved His Father. He always did what was pleasing to His Father. He was submitted to the will of His Father. Here's the answer to this dilemma. Our dilemma is much more than not having the right pants for our outfit. Our dilemma is we want God and there's a mountain crushing us, keeping us from Him. Because of our sin and because we don't love Him, we don't want Him. That's our dilemma. The way that Jesus has dealt with our dilemma is He lived perfectly without spot or wrinkle or any sin. He lived perfectly before God in the world. And then He kept all of this law and loved this God, this Creator, with all His heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then He went and He took our wages. The wages of sin is death. Jesus went and hung on a cross and died under the wrath of His Father. That's what should happen to us. We shouldn't be on this holy hill with the Lord. We should be dying under the wrath of God. 
And instead, Jesus did. And then these last verses I want to look at with you. This is a picture of what happened. Let me give you this thought. Adam and Eve, the first people God made, sinned in the beginning. They were separated from God and every one of their children, grandchildren, all the way down to you is born separated from God. We're not born in right relationship with God. We're born separated from God. And in a sense, the gates of heaven have been closed to us. That, if you want to think about that holy place, that high hill the Lord's at, the Lord's in heaven. He's in heaven and the gate to heaven is shut. And we can't get in there because of our sin. Hear this one, Jesus Christ. After He dies on the cross, picture this in your minds. He ascends the hill. He climbs the mountain and He gets to heaven and the gates are closed. So even after He's died, it's like how can a human being go in there? How can we get into heaven? The picture is this. Imagine the Lord Jesus crying out with this after His death on the cross and resurrection. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? Think about this. Imagine God in heaven and all His angels on the inside of this gate, inside heaven. The gate's shut. Imagine a man standing on the other side of it. A man. We're men and women and children. We are separated from God. And all of a sudden, God sees a man on the other side of that gate. And the man says, open up gate. Open wide gate. And the response is, who is this King of glory who's wanting to come in here? Here's the answer. The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Now, who do you think this King of glory is in our text? Who is this describing? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Every one of us is separated from God by our sin and we don't have access to God. This King of glory went and died on the cross, rose from the dead and ascended into heaven as the first human being to ever do so. And if He didn't do that as a human, we don't get to either. We're separated from God unless Jesus accomplishes this for us. And now, the Bible teaches not only did those gates fly open, and welcome Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who became a man into heaven. He sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus is there in heaven now. And He's made the way for every person who trusts in Him to enter as well. You realize this? If you spent all your life trying to do good things, trying to do nice things, trying to please God, you still can't go in there. You can't even climb the mountain, much less open the gate. You can't get in there. But Jesus got in there. He climbed the mountain for you. He opened the gate for you. And He says, come, trust in Me, believe in Me, and you may enter with Me as well. To close our thoughts here this evening, the answer to this divine dilemma, human beings have sinned and deserve to die. How can God allow them to live forever in heaven because of their sin? How can a good God, remember I asked you earlier, is it a good God who lets people do bad things and get away with it? No. How can God be a good God 
and let you go? How can God forgive your sin and still be a good God? The answer is because He punished your sin in His Son. He punished your sin in the One who could climb that mountain with clean hands and a pure heart. And the message of your entire Bible is to look to this Son, this King of glory, repent, turn from all your uncleanness, and trust in One who truly is unclean, One who really has clean hands and a pure heart. And He says, I'll receive you in. I'm telling you, the gates are open to you because He opened them. He told those gates open, and every time the Lord Jesus commanded something to happen, it happened. He opened those gates, and He entered, He sat down at the right hand of His Father, and He bids us come with Him. I pray that you would repent and trust in Christ if you haven't. Realize He is able to save us to the uttermost, because He is the King of glory. With that, I'll go ahead and close this in prayer and then we can gather at the back. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for making the only way for us in Your Son. For breaking those doors down that we may enter in. For climbing that fierce mountain in our stead. God, I ask that You would move by Your Spirit in the hearts of these young people. That they would see eternity and have it etched on their eyelids. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.